Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You've tuned in to Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the airwaves. We are broadcasting from 3CR Studios in Melbourne, Australia. Live streaming and recent podcasts are available via the 3CR website and Freedom of Species websites. During the week, I heard a lot of talk about insightful hate speech amongst humankind, how that escalates into violent treatment of other people and marginal communities. Consider how powerful hate speech is. When referring to so-called pest animal species in Australia, it pretty much justifies and enables killing them by whatever means necessary, which at the moment is extremely torturous, 1080 poison baiting or indeed other poisons, knifing, shooting, whatever. The latest on the hate list is the cat. Apparently, the cat is the arch enemy of anyone who wants to look out for and protect native wildlife. Do we have to choose between native wildlife and the cat? In a week, the Threatened Species Commissioner is having a roundtable on feral cats in which animal liberation will be present. Linda Stoner is going to talk to us about what animal liberation are going to bring to that table. But in the meantime, let's listen to a great discussion about this cat issue that was held by Mini Kitty Commune. Mini Kitty Commune is a registered charity that works with the adoption and management of companion animals. They drive programs to increase the visibility of rescue animals, support volunteer and commercial organisations and increase quality of public engagement. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend. 3CR Community Radio is dedicated to exploring the issues that affect our future. Because I think it is something we just need to be talking about. 855am. Tune in and listen up. Ariane and Tina from Rescue Cat Project. Ariane is from Dingo Biodiversity and the Centre for Compassionate Conservation. Um, today's chat really is regarding the current situation with the government's plans to cull two million cats. And we just wanted to have a bit of a chat about that. Before we start, one of the main misconceptions of people in rescue or people that don't believe in what the government wants to do is that if you like cats, you don't care about our native animals. That isn't true. For those of you that don't know, Mini Kitty Commune 
do care about wildlife. We are a cat rescue that only rehomes our cats to indoor-only homes or homes where there are cat runs. We do not believe in cats roaming freely. Um, we often help rescue wildlife ourselves and we support WIRES and also Sydney Metropolitan Wildlife. Um, that's a little bit about our organisation. Um, it doesn't mean that just because we do not want to see a mass cull of cats that we don't care about the situation or that we don't have some ideas on what the other path the government could be doing. First of all, I'd like you to meet Tina, who, as I said, is with Cat Rescue Project, but she also works and has a lot of passion with colony cats, which, despite the government saying they weren't targeting, the, um, the threatened species commissioner has now brought to people's attention. And they originally were not going to be focusing on suburban cats. Tina, you know a bit about the colony cats mm -hmm. and the situation. Like... Obviously, cats do have an effect on animals and they, you know, they are hunters. Mm -hmm. But what do you find with the colony cats that you deal with? Well, first of all, there's the colony cats that I've come across have are there simply because people have not desexed and have either dumped them or they've been born at a colony. So through no fault of their own, they're not rampaging through suburbia. They're literally just trying to survive. Um, quite often they're fed by concerns, local people, and some people are against that, some people are for that. But I have never, ever witnessed any um, problems with them catching birds and possums. In fact, I've seen possums feeding with cats um, at, at particular sites. The key thing is, is to minimise the numbers, obviously, and so desexing is absolutely paramount. We would like to do not just trap, neuter and release it if, if the site is um, a site that we consider to be relatively safe but um, actually rehome if we can and which is another thing I do is I've, I've rehabilitated a lot of cats that would be considered feral they would you know they would be considered cats that that nobody would want to touch but I now have three at home who I could not touch to begin with, who were scratching, biting, going for me, and now they are the cuddliest, sweetest little things, and that's just within a few months. And they deserve a chance just as much as any other animal. And, and most groups that do do TNR take the kittens anyway, you know, as many as yeah. they can. So it's just adults being released. Mm -hmm. um, quite often it's ones that can't be rehabilitated. And... The statistics show that cats that live outside have a much shorter lifespan. So the point of TNR is to stop the breeding. You could take all the cats out of one area, but everyone that works these colonies have found that the cats are in a specific area because it is sustainable. So you remove all the cats out of there, the next lot of cats will just move in. Whereas when you've got a small group that's dwindling down, you're not going to have the same influx and huge numbers. I mean, some of the colonies have got... 60 plus cats and people are working hard on it mm -hmm. and you know these are the cats that your pet cat might end up in a colony if it's lost these are the cats that are going to be targeted now mm -hmm. um interestingly just quickly to talk about the cats that the threatened species commissioner brought up before we move on now he posted a photo the other day of cats that he said in canberra were killing rosellas you know, killing native birds that he's seen. Now, the, he had a photo. It was one photo of a solo cat 
that was ducking back into a drain. Um, many of the local girls down there that work with rescues say they know that colony, it's managed, they don't see them killing the animals. And the thing is, the other thing is, there's a reason why people trap colony cats during the night time because they don't come out during the day. They're not doing that, you know. So for him to actually, I think it'd be quite rare for him to actually see a whole bunch of colony cats mass killing yeah. birds in the middle of the day. Yeah, they don't. They don't come out. Anybody who knows colony cats know that they're they're not going to be out during the day simply because you know that one of the things um, that we noticed and and is on the increase since the publicity surrounding the war on cat and the cull that is um, said to going to be happening and the curiosity bait and all of those things there's such bad publicity that people are now um, seeing cats as you know they're sort of demonized in a way they are considered to be by the threatened species commissioner and that part of the government as the number one problem for native wildlife when they're not factoring in that it is an ecological system it is a multifactorial system but what's happening is as a result the the bottom lines coming to, to to the public to just the general public as they are responsible they're number one responsible then they don't deserve to live their vermin and as a result of that we're seeing an increase in cruelty cases and abuse towards towards um, cats on the streets and and these aren't just colony cats these these are actually people's pets as well these are people you know a lot of there is no law in new south wales to say that you have to keep your cats indoors at the moment we think you should but yeah. we can't enforce it. no it's not enforceable and uh, so people do let their cats out you've got lots of different nationalities with uh, where english isn't the first language and um, and they don't see anything wrong with letting their cats out. And they're like, you know, not everybody wants cats going into the back garden. That's fair enough. But, you know, victimising the cats and making it as if they're evil is absolutely, completely and utterly wrong. Right. And it's getting worse. So that brings us to the next thing of what do you do about it? Um, obviously, the government's plan is to just eradicate as many cats as they can. Um, we're not denying there, especially in the bush, we're not denying there is a problem with feral cats, but the way we have a, what we do have a problem with is how the government wants to reduce those numbers. Um, I mean, the, the baits, they say that the cats just go to sleep. In, in the test papers, they talk about methahemoglobin, oh, I can't think of the proper word now, but there is nothing peaceful about an animal dying that way. It's basically the same thing that happens when an animal is poisoned by paracetamol. It, all the oxygen is slowly drained out of their body and it is very painful. Ask any vet, they will not tell you that's a nice way to die. So interestingly, when all this sort of happened, um, we came across Ariane. Now Ariane has been studying, she's you know, she's very invested in compassionate conversation. So obviously there are, she has other ideas on things that we could do to help control, um, control the issue, but sadly the government's not that interested, so we thought you might like to hear about it through us. We've only got a small audience, but who knows who might see it. Um, so this is Ariane, and I'd like her to talk a little bit about what she does. Hi. Um... I'm a, uh, an ecologist and um, I work in this in a field called compassionate conservation that merges uh, conservation values that looks at the welfare of species, um, ecosystems, populations 
with um, the values of um, animal protection and animal welfare, which focuses on individual animals. And conservation and um, animal welfare often come into conflict, particularly so in Australia, where there are these two opposing forces. Um, and like we were just um, talking before, um, you, if you love cats, then you don't care about wildlife, or if you care about wildlife, you don't care about cats. But really, most of us care about the various living beings of this planet and care about cats and care about um, the, the persistence and flourishing um, uh, of wildlife wherever they come from. Um, I'm very interested in, in a different way of thinking about conservation that is moving away from an idea that um, the only species that matter are those that were present in Australia before 1788. That's what you would call a native species. And towards a more global conservation ethic that values all wildlife and is promoting coexistence and is focusing really our attention on our own behaviors. So if we recognize um, something that we believe to be a problem, such as a decline um, or and severe declines in um, populations of some wildlife, then before we choose to inter intervene in a lethal way, um, we can first look at what um, activities we're taking, our own human social behaviors that is actually that we could change, that could actually promote um, uh, promote these values. Um, Choosing to uh, kill cats to promote their prey um, is a very old idea. It's been done for decades. Um, cats are actually a bit new on the most hated list in Australia. Uh, foxes were the most hated, followed by cane toads, and now, um, and now it's cats. And it's not actually solving the problems we're trying to fix. What we need is a complete new rethink about the way we value wildlife and the way um, we think about them, and there are other options. So can you just sort of give us an idea of what those other op options may be, Ariane? What, what kind of, um, you know, we, the Threatened Species Commission is asking us for ideas, um, and we're trying to sort of say to him there, there are other options. What, what would they be? Well... It depends, again, when we're talking about wildlife in urban areas and wildlife in more remote areas. Now, generally, when we talk about population declines, we're talking about non-urban areas. Um, and it's very important to remember that when you talk about um, the effects of predation, the question is not whether how many animals, a cat or a falcon or... Um, or any other animal, how many animals they eat, but whether that predation pressure is actually causing um, a severe decline and endangerment or an extinction. And it seems that that is certainly happening in some cases. But the question then is why, whether that is the particular um, inability of these species to coexist with cats, and that is not necessarily the case. We have a cat right here. Um, <laughs> Uh, the first. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> such a lady. Um, the first thing we need to do um, to help Australia's native wildlife is to stop poison baiting completely. 
Uh, poison baiting is a very effective way to cause higher densities of cats to, and to increase, and more importantly than their densities, to actually increase their predation pressure. Um, the reason for this is that poison baits primarily target the predators of cats, and those are dingoes and foxes. And dingoes in particular are Australia's top order predator, um, and they have very strong effects on on cat populations. They do this both by decreasing cat numbers, but also through behavioral interactions. So when dingoes are doing well, cats have to stay away from certain areas and they have to um, uh, change their activity um, to, to protect themselves from predation by, by dingoes. But in Australia, there are no places that are safe from poison baiting. And so I find it deeply problematic that we have this plan to um, expend so many resources to kill so many cats when we have so little evidence that that's going to do any good, um, but it's an easy thing to do instead of changing our own behavior and our own behavior is the persecution of, of Australia's top order predator, the dingo. And, and can you be, just um, recap over that? Um, you mentioned about, obviously, um, cats... There, there, we're talking about cats in the outback and cats in suburbia, non, cats in non-urban areas. But in both, um, particularly in the non-urban areas, you, you're talking about um, um, a system which, you know, is no longer pristine, is it? It's no longer like uh, the original pre-1788 um, sort of habitat that would have existed for Australian wildlife or native species then. Um, so we mentioned about the dingo, but there are other factors involved um, that are obviously um, impacting um, those those um, animals and how they're living. Um, can you give us an idea of what other things what other things they may be? Well, we certainly we certainly know that um, predation pressure on small animals um, is exacerbated by the condition of vegetation by 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 de um, decreasing condition in vegetation. Um, so um, when we have fires, extreme fires that go out of control that limit um, uh, limit vegetation, or um, uh, land clearing that provides very little that provides conditions in which the prey have very little cover, and then their predators are have are a lot more um, effective at limiting their numbers. Um, killing cats um, isn't going to change that. You don't actually need many cats to have then a strong influence on um, on animals in areas where they are very vulnerable, where the, the top predator has been taken out um, or severely disrupted. The cover that they need in order to get away has been um, degraded and the cats um, are being killed, which really is just contributing to a, the social breakdown in cat territories. And so you're getting a very high turnover of cats. You can even get um, a significant increase in cat densities, not only because their own predators have been taken out, but because cats can um, have social influences on each other through their territorial behavior. I, As far as I'm aware, cats away from urban areas don't form colonies. Um, they're essentially solitary. It's actually a very interesting thing yep, that the same species can 
chooses to live a solitary territorial mm-hmm. life form in in non-urban areas and when they move into urban areas they form a colonies colony. which biologically um, is fascinating and yep. ecologically is quite distinct yeah completely and the other thing that um has been shown for example in different countries was for just a quick example in yellowstone in the states when they decided there was a wolf problem and they went in there and they took all the wolves out of yellowstone then um, the deer and that did come back, but the problem was then there were other animals being affected and dying off because the deer cleared the entire, you know, vegetation out. They lost, they, they lost, um, they lost fauna as well as, you know, flora and fauna. And so then they ended up reintroducing them, you know, and maintaining it. But the point being is that it's hard to just remove something out of an ecological system, am I right, once it's actually established and has been there for quite an amount of time because don't, everything kind of works around each other. Is that right? Well, I would certainly um, um, argue that that all of Australia's wildlife belong in Australia, whether they were here before 1788 or not. Um, and it's a reality. I My position um, as an ecologist is that cats are part of this ecosystem. Ecosystems are much too complex to even, it's almost absurd to think that we can poison and shoot our way out of ecological, ecologically based problems. Um, We have to accept cats as part of the Australian landscape. I would actually argue that we should even stop referring to them as feral cats. and actually start talking about them as Australian wildcats, just as we would talk about African wildcats and about Eurasian wildcats. We now have Australian wildcats, whether we like it or not. I would prefer it if we did like it. They are um, Their ecological role here is very similar to that anywhere else in the world. They're part of what is called the Mesopredator Guild. So that's the entire guild of um, animals that would be about between sort of five and ten kilograms, or a bit smaller, a bit larger, um, raccoons, foxes, um, um, many many different species of foxes, many small species of cats. Um, they're all they all play an ecological role. Um, they also play an ecological role in our urban areas. Um, humans have co-evolved almost or lived together with cats. Um, for thousands of years, and areas that don't have cats can then will then have other species. So we can, let's say, we could magically snap our fingers and make cats go away. We would then be create have some some other animal that we come into conflict with. Exactly. That could be rats or mice. Um, there is. One could argue, for example, that in urban areas, and I may be digressing from your question just a little bit, but um, that th- there is a real problem of people using poisons in their households to rid houses of rodents. And these poisons then harm other wildlife that, that eat those rodents. They can be owls and snakes and, yeah. and rep- other reptiles. Um, and people that have cats tend to have less of those problems. So I guess in a more broad sense, 
ecosystem is com ecosystems are complex. You take something out, something else moves in, something goes up, something goes down. And we need to be a lot more careful about being very, very dogmatic about this idea that um, cats are bad because they were bought by, brought by, by humans and that the way to fix that problem is killing cats and that killing cats is actually going to suppress their populations yeah. and going to solve our problem. Yeah. All of those things are, are, um, have been shown now over decades not yeah. to work. So that so basically the, the, the this is a simple solution, almost like a band aid. Um, we have a problem in Australia with with depletion of native wildlife and species, what we consider to be native species pre seventeen eighty eight, and um, actually um, we well, we're never going to get back to that that stage because humans have changed. Hu European. We're continuing though. We're yeah. continuing to remove and yeah. expand and develop, yeah. and all those things are creating problems. It's not yeah. just. It, it cannot just be put down to if we reduce two million num two million cats, that's going to make everything better. Yeah, it's not. As I said, you know, I live in an urban area. Um, I see the occasional cat outside, but what I do see nearly every single morning when I'm driving through the area to drop my children to school, go to the shop, are ringtail possums killed by cars on the roads. Mm -hmm. um, they are not cats killing those. They are our native animals and they are being killed in huge numbers mm -hmm. on our streets, then, yes, cats can kill, cats, you know, they will hunt, they will do all those things, but you cannot just blame the cat. And you can't, and as Ariane said, taking two million cats out, it's not going to make any difference. So we're still going to have a whole bunch of endangered species. Yeah. And it's because of us, not because of any other species. Yeah. And, the and, only and, species and... on the planet that has made another species extinct is humans. Mm -hmm. So, the, well, we, so basically, the number one problem for, yeah. for Australian wildlife is actually human um, European colonisation from 1788. We don't know what was happening before, but a lot of the land clearance for agriculture, the the cattle that are now grazing across Australia that are not natives, you know, no. the 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 and sheep just, just that are not natives. About cattle, um, the Threatened Species Commissioner mentioned with the photo of the, the single cat in Canberra, that they spread toxoplasmosis and it was mentioned that you can, you're can you more likely to catch that through eating meat, which was then counteracted with because the farm animals are ingesting cat feces. Well, there are no suburban colony cats that are responsible for us, anyone getting toxoplasmosis via us eating meat, you know. These are going to be, obviously, the, the country feral, the bush cats... Those sorts of things. So you can't really use toxoplasmosis as a reason to go out there and and focus on removing and killing a bunch of colony cats if that's where they want to take this next. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not those cats that are... How many sheep do you see walking through central Canberra? Exactly. But it seems to me that, you know, with sheep and cattle, they're okay because we need them in Australia. You know, we need to feed ourselves. And they've been here since 1788. They were brought over with the cats. Cats were brought over to, you know, keep the vermin down, keep rats down, brought on the ships. 
and they, and they needed to, you know, as part of the process of, of getting used to living in Australia, um, it, it bringing over the sheep and the cattle, and none of these species are considered to be native in the sense of it being pre-1788, but we're okay with them staying on in the vast numbers, even though, you know, there are issues ecologically with with what they're doing, you know, the land use. Um, and And... <laughs> we've still we've still got we've still got the issue with um with the fact that as as the um, australia's population grows there will be continuing um areas where which will be cleared for land use will be cleared for infrastructure will be cleared for for housing and so on that's the way of the future for australia it's not going to go back so it's trying to find a way where you know we bring this holistically we bring this together as 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 all part of all the issues not just saying cats are number one responsible that's right so oh uh, karen's just asking um can you get toxo from other things too well you can but basically the, the toxoplasmosis parasite is a feline you know they are the carrier um it can then be passed on through other things obviously but it's through always generally being someone or some species has ingested cat poo, for example, playing in sandbox, um, vegetables where a cat's gone in the toilet, like use the garden as a toilet, that sort of thing. But indoor cats, um, cats, cats that don't eat a lot of raw meat, that are, that are basically fed, um, that are not going to be catching rodents and doing all those things, then you've got a very little chance of catching it. And I really don't think, you know, most of these colony cats, as I said, they're living down drains, you know. They're not really going to be putting themselves out there to be toileting right in the open where they're targets. It's, that's the difference between what we know about cats. Like, pet cats will do all those things. Um, they will be out in the open. But these colony cats don't because they, they need to survive. So they don't put themselves in high-risk situations. And being out in the open to eat, being out in the open to toilet, they are all... You know, a, you're basically a sitting duck. So these cats don't act the same as the pet cat that's necessarily coming into your garden and toileting, you know. And that doesn't mean that cat deserves, you know, anything to happen to it. It means that that poor cat's got a, you know, maybe got a, not a great owner that's letting it wander around. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem as well, you know. As I said, we, we are indoor only or contained cat runs um we don't want people hating it i love cats i adore cats but i don't want all my neighbors cats coming into my yard i totally get that people don't enjoy that mm -hmm. um but i don't have a problem with the cats i then have a problem with the owners and that's at the moment cats just get victimized and vilified for everything but there's also the i mean going back to what we're talking about in suburbia um which is obviously what um um, the Threatened Species Commissioner is now targeting with with his comment about the Canberra colony. Um, if they do have the money to put into culling mass numbers of cats and using, you know, uh, using the curiosity bait and developing all of these techniques to, to try and eradicate cats, which is very unlikely to happen, um, then I do question why we can't put money into education campaigns, into um, getting the message out to um, the communities, to suburban communities for a start. Um, 
of people who are from different backgrounds, multi um, um, sort of language, um, educational um, um, information that can say the importance of desexing your cat, so that you we don't have a situation where okay, you know okay. a cat gets gets yeah. pregnant. Um, they they don't know what to do with the kittens. The kittens get dumped, and then we have the, these colonies rising. You know, why don't we tackle those issues? Why don't we tackle sort of teaching people why it's important to to look after you, be a responsible. Um, it's very frustrating owner. that all these things that you're talking about are coming from very small a very small section of the community. Though it's all the rescue groups, all the you know anyone that's in involved in in animal rescue we're the ones that are trying to get this out there but we obviously we don't have the funds all the scope you know there's only so many people you can reach it's a shame that the government isn't assisting with this yeah so we, we one of the one of the ways of tackling this issue is to try to reduce the population by a via just saying you know, please desex your cats. They can breed prolifically. Desex um, at point of sale. At We've point pet of sale. shops and breeders that were not were selling non-breeding stock had to yeah. desex everything. Yeah. Then yeah, and, that would and, be a and one getting the message step. out, getting the message out, and and you know, explaining why you know that cats can have a good life indoors or in a, in a cat run, and all of those things. If they're kept safe, you won't have them issues of them going out onto the road and getting run over. You and won't have as high vet bills. Higher vet bills and yeah. so on. Um, why can't why can't they use that money to to sort of get out to the community and and, and and sort of have a widespread campaign on, on explaining that. We see it in other countries. You see, the, I mean, I'm going back to the States and I'm not holding them up there on any pedestal in terms of animal welfare and things like that, but you do see places like Maddie's Institute and all these amazing places that have funding and do these mass desexing days and it's just a very different culture. Um, in England, cats are treated completely differently to what they're treated in Australia. Mm. Look, it's a very different culture, though. I mean, not culture, but, I mean, when I was living in England, you know what it's like, Tina. You don't even have fly screens on windows mm -hmm. because, you know, you're lying in the park, something crawls on you, you don't care. In Australia, something crawls on you, everyone's up and running. <laughs> it's, it's different, you know, so there's different things. I mean, we do have a lot of small mammals here, um, but we need to we need to look at serious ways of you know, not having them disappear without just always constantly being kill something else to try and stop this happening. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I think the bottom line for me, and I, I don't know um, what, what you think, Ariane and, and Mel, the bottom line for me is um, my concern is over um, the message that's being sent out, is that um, the bottom line is that cats are number one responsible. Cats are almost, it's it's like a medieval style witch hunt. Um, cats are, are evil, cats are vermin. They don't deserve to be treated with any respect. They don't deserve to live. They don't, you know, you, you can do whatever you want to them. That is my concern. That is that is the that is what is really 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 getting to me now because I I have witnessed the rise in cruelty towards colony cats, and this is going to get worse, especially now that we're not just focusing on outback cats anymore or cats in the bush or whatever. We're we're actually um, we're actually looking at cats in suburbia too now, and that is really alarming. Yes, I mean. Look, obviously with your whole apex predators and the 
you know, biodiversity and using compassionate conservation, you know, the government's taken a step towards that in a sense. Um, the, I read the recent story where they've taken two dingoes to control the feral goat problem, but they've put 1080 pellets under the dingoes. You know, that's not what you have in mind when you're talking about compassionate conservation, I'm sure. No, um, no, that I, I think what you're referring to there, yes, there was a, there is a program ongoing where um, four very unlucky um, dingoes were um, trapped, uh, desexed, um, they've put large radio collars on yeah, it them. it horrible. And, um, and implanted them with poison capsules and then dumped them on an island to act as goat killers, at which point they'll, once they've done their dirty work, then they'll be killed. And I, I think and if that... The, if the poison doesn't kill them, they will shoot them anyway. Uh, the idea is to shoot... The, the idea is to shoot them, and if something goes wrong with the radio collars, then the poison is a backup. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think the... It, it's one of the more... It's, it's one of the more appalling projects I've um, ever heard about, and that it comes under, in any way, a banner of the word conservation, I think goes to show um, how to what level conservation has lost its moral bearings. Um, in an ecological sense, there's absolutely... It, there's a huge difference between four desex males that are not um, related to each other that are going to be on an island for two years um, versus a population of dingoes. They live in family groups. There's mom and dad and kids and uncles and aunts. That's what a pack actually is. It's it's a family. They hold territories. And, of course, these are ongoing um, systems. Dingoes are not eradicators. Uh, dingoes wouldn't eradicate cats. Um, dingoes will occasionally kill cats. They'll probably kill much fewer cats than we ever could. We can kill we can kill millions of cats if we want to, but while um, we can kill many cats, we can't actually control their populations that way. So killing two million cats doesn't mean you have two million less cats. No. And this is where it's confusing. And then when the cats will breed more, yes. more, you know, if there isn't, cats will actually not breed if there's not enough food source and it's not sustainable. So you take a bunch of cats out, then cats will procreate faster and more quickly to fill up that fill up the numbers again. So that's a very common thing in many, many animals. When they are socially disrupted, um, when there's some sort of tragedy going on in their population, they'll just start breeding. They'll breed faster, they'll breed at a younger age, um, uh, and, and so that's certainly, so, so you can kill two million cats, but to jump to this conclusion that, oh, Australia will therefore have less, whatever it is that we have now, minus two million, is actually not correct. Um, but dingoes, on the other hand, do have an effect, an actual measurable effect, which has been shown um, on cats, these culling programs don't have those measurable effects. And the lives of these animals seem to be completely dispensable. We're willing to use the most cruel methods and to kill so many animals and to have so little data to show that this works. And even when we find evidence that this is having the, the opposite outcome to what we were intending, we just keep doing it. And so how, is the gov how does the government respond 
to your findings and you know do you ha- are they open to it or are they you know for whenever it's discussed on pages it seems to be everything that's brought up about this sort of thing is shut down very quickly and we're thrown statistics and numbers that have no there's no way to actually find where these numbers came from um this is always thrown up and this is to be the reason why we have to kill this way and you know there is no other way do you are people are, when you're talking you know is government open to what your what your studies show or not really there there are things that there are things that are changing and then there are things that are still very entrenched so um in the past 10 years there has been a a very significant shift in our attitudes towards dingoes there's been a huge surge in scientific research showing the 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 extraordinary ecological effects that dingoes have on cats and on other wildlife and how that flows on to affect ecosystems broadly and um, there are conservation organizations and government uh, policymakers that are listening but so I would say that that in that regard specifically about the dingoes there's some change but I don't think the dingoes know that yet so Mm. there's nowhere in Australia where dingoes are safe the worst place for a dingo is inside a national park and this is where it's it's particularly ridiculous because they're dropping tenate everywhere. Is that the the most in, intense? The, yes, the the in, most intense poison baiting programs are done inside national parks because that's where the funding is. Farmers put out a lot of poison baits, but farmers are limited with their time and resources. Um, but in national parks, particularly the ones that people are interested in, they can use huge amounts of poison baiting and and shooting. And the way they get around this is just by calling dingoes wild dogs. Um, and so this has been a very effective, um, uh, a very effective way of essentially continuing um, to demonize animals such as cats. So there, there, we are, there, are, there is a conversation that's happening certainly um, around dingoes, and um, but I, I do argue that as long that even if we um, start accepting dingoes, that's it's actually not enough because as long as we um, define an animal as a legitimate wildlife ba- based on whether or not they are native, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. um, dingoes won't be safe because you can always continue killing dingoes by calling them wild dogs. Because dingoes and domestic dogs can hybridize, as can wolves and coyotes and coyotes and dogs, all, many of the large uh, canids of the world um, can hybridize. The difference between all of these species is of kind rather than... Um, so there's some there's some interbreeding between dogs and dingoes, and the minute you can show that there's even some amount of integration, then you can call those animals non-native, and then you can poison bait, and so on. We're going to yeah. have to completely rethink the way we um, we we relate to wild animals and domestic animals if we are going to even start to make a dent in in the decline in native animals. Because, I mean, dingoes have been victimised for years and their numbers were radically reduced. So in some ways you could say that taking the dingoes out, um, although they don't kill cats, their presence there can create havens where some of the like smaller mammals can still breed and things like that. So they've taken a lot of the dingoes out, which probably has helped increase the wildcat numbers in the bush as well. Yeah. You know, they've removed that and it hasn't actually done anything, it hasn't done what it's probably, you know, they hoped it would do. Instead, as you said... Cats have come in and now they are there. 
Yeah, I think there's there's strong evidence now um, to suggest that very strongly that it's the persecution of dingoes, um, the use of poison baiting that is the major driver of biodiversity decline. It's not cats, it's not foxes, it's not cane toads, it's not any animal in particular, it's our persecution of Australia's top predator. Great. Well, thank you, ladies. We'll probably leave it there. Um, hope, hope you, hope that helped. I don't know if it was interesting. It was very interesting for me. I'm actually quite excited to meet Ariane with her work. Lovely um, to meet you too. Yeah, yes, and Tina, Tina from Rescue Cat Project, who's a big um, fan of cats and is not happy with the, you know, the way things are going. Um, today was just hopefully to give a little bit of an insight of other ways. Um, maybe think about you know, don't necessarily believe everything that you read or are told. Not a single person here is saying that cats don't kill native animals um, or that we shouldn't do something to save our native animals, but the huge persecution of cats and the way that it's being conducted is what we're not... Is just, it's not right. You are listening to 3CR 855 AM, Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy. On the airwaves, that was Cat Empire's tune, Wild Animals. Well, it was just a portion of it. Now we will go to a chat I had with Linda Stoner from New South Wales Animal Liberation. Now, Gregory Andrews is the first Australian Threatened Species Commissioner appointed in July 2014, and he is convening Australia's community roundtable on feral cats of which I noticed on his Facebook page he's very proud to acknowledge that you are actually going to be present at that roundtable. Can you tell us what animal liberation will be bringing to the roundtable? Yes, we're delighted to have this opportunity to participate in this roundtable conference about this extremely important issue. For too long, cats have been vilified and demonised and, you know, this, in New South Wales at least, there's like a call to action to harm cats and there's an app where people can report wild cats and... Before I go on, I'd just like to talk about the semantics we use when we speak about wild animals. You know, we use words, if, unless they're animals that we can make a profit from, like cows, and we call them stock. When it comes to animals that um, we perceive as being in competition with, you know, some sort of profit that we want, we call them vermin or noxious or pest. And that terminology pretty much determines that the public feel quite, you know, uh, happy to go out and do whatever they want to those animals because that sort of language is very violent. And cats, of course, fall under this sort of terminology. And so Animal Liberation New South Wales wants to speak out for wild cats and to remind people that, you know, loss of habitat for native animals or reduction in numbers of wild animals is due to human encroachment on their land and, you know, we, we remove constantly so much bushland and native forests from wildlife and, you know, but it's easier to, to look at the cat and blame cats for absolutely everything and to use really terrible um, ways of killing cats. And so Animal Liberation, New South Wales wants to talk about the fact that 
you know, in many countries in the world, it's been very successfully done to, to utilize things like trap, neuter and release programs. You know, in Israel, it's been hugely successful in, in reducing great numbers of cats. And it happens in England and America. And to ask the question why you know, governments around this country just won't even look at this. And, um, you know, when it does prove to be effective, when you take, say, a colony of wild cats and, you know, there are carers who uh, risk their liberty by going out and feeding colony cats. So we know, you know, of, of quite a lot of people who take these wild cats and take them to the vet and get them dissexed and then they put them back into the colony. And because the colony numbers, you know, by natural attrition, you know, those numbers reduce and those cats in that area keep out other cats from coming in. And over time, those numbers, you know, of course, reduce down to nothing. And the other thing, too, is that we're not even looking at sterilization programs. And thankfully, finally, we're looking at sterilization of brumbies and kangaroos, albeit very slowly, but at least it's starting to happen in this country that instead of the jackboot approach of just kill, 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 we're looking at non-lethal forms of keeping numbers of wild animals down and that's what we want people to look at for cats as well. You started off there pointing out the use of language and how that can be a systemic weapon to induce violence uh, and and create a free-for-all in how you treat that particular species and feral cats has definitely become the latest on what Aaron Wallach ecologist terms as the latest on the hate list you know Mm. and I hear that there's been an increase in cruelty cases against cats. Yeah. Is that right? Since yeah. this has all been, um, you know, the publicity's been out there that feral cats are contributing to 28 mammal extinctions mm-hmm. and the fever of this is, 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 is yeah. really escalating an ugly head of violence. Can you elaborate on that? You're absolutely right, Emma. And, and I think using the word fever is so apt and... There are, you know, people out in our community, sadly, who enjoy harming animals and now they've got free licence because of the language that's being used and they can justify or attempt to justify what they're doing to, you know, for example, cats by saying, oh, but, you know, we're, we're doing, we're helping our native animals and really they're just malcontents who just enjoy harming animals and now they've got free licence too because of this, because of these apps that are being introduced and because of as we've discussed, the language that's being used around cats. Tell us more about the apps that you mentioned. There are apps being put out by, um, and I use the word pest in inverted commas, some pest organisations so that people throughout New South Wales can send in photographs of wild cats and show the locations of these cats. And, and in the doing of that, it means that you know people then know where to go out and torture and maim and kill cats. Mm. So Animal Liberation are going to be pushing for the further confirmation and um, encouragement of the colony cat environment in the urban areas and then also addressing the the issue as more of, well, let's look at what we're doing here to the land and the fragmentation of species. Is that right? Another thing that we choose very carefully to not look at is the use of land for so-called stock animals. So it's all right to, you know, raise tracts of land to put cows and sheep and other profit-bearing animals in these areas and, you know, bugger the environment. But, you know, let's blame the cat, really. And it's that sort of thing that really 
I just find it's not mystifying, it's blatantly obvious what and why they're doing it, but that people continue to believe the furfies about, you know, what cats are doing and how cats are responsible wholly and solely for the reduction of these native animals when in fact it's human intervention that's causing the majority of these things. Tell us about how optimistic you are going into the round table. Well, I... I would have been a little less optimistic, but for the announcement by a Greens member in New South Wales regarding foxes, and foxes are up there with cats on on some people's hate lists, and so it was very heartening to hear a Greens member, and we've not heard a lot from the Greens other than to say that introduced species with the exception of money-making animals, that they should be gotten rid of. And so I was so heartened to hear Jamie Parker, um, who's in the lower house in New South Wales, saying that his support, you know, when uh, foxes are uh, rescued, uh, currently in New South Wales, if you find an injured fox, it's against the law to take the fox to a vet, for example. And so Jamie, at least, is speaking out against the fact that, you know, we have to revisit the way we look at foxes and they are part of our our environment now. We can't go back to Australia 200 years ago. Human beings have wrought so much damage and, you know, brought other animals into this country and, and hence all these things are happening now. We can't turn back time. We can't undo what has been done. We can try to ameliorate the damage and look at humane alternatives to keeping numbers of wild animals down. So I will be going to the Roundtable Conference, being able to say at least in New South Wales, there is some voice of reason speaking out. And I met an ecologist on Friday, coincidentally, who used to believe the same thing, that, you know, foxes and cats must be killed and she too has done a complete turnaround and she believes that you know they are part of our landscape we just have to find a way to, to humanely bring down their numbers and just change our way of thinking and I appreciate this is going this is this roundtable conference is just going to be the very beginning the tip of the iceberg in this conversation but I feel somewhat heartened that at least these conversations are beginning. You are tuned into 3CR 855 AM Animal Advocacy on the airwaves Freedom of Species. We are chatting with Linda Stoner from Animal Liberation New South Wales about the war on cats. The killing of cats happens in a myriad of ways and same with foxes. Um, And I can speak more readily to foxes knowing that they use um, a thing called fox off which is actually 1080 which is one of the cruelest products imaginable and we just you know sprinkle it around Australia willy-nilly so that um, target and non-target species suffer unspeakable and protracted deaths and 1080 is so so horrible that it's been banned in most countries in the world and and yet you know we put that down for cats we put it down for foxes um you know with foxes uh, their dens are fumigated they're shot they're, there's a bounty on their scalps in victoria and similarly with cats you know it's whatever uh, people go out and shoot them hunt them spear them um so it's just, uh, you know, it's just like an open slather and whatever means people feel is okay to, to kill um, one of these animals is, is what is okay at the moment because there are exemptions for, you know, any animal that's called a pest. There, there is an exemption in, in the Protection of Cruelty to Animals Act um, which, you know, still gives tacit permission to do whatever you like to those animals pretty much. And pretty much you won't be prosecuted for animal cruelty. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, things like pig dogging when in New South Wales and Queensland and the Northern Territory particularly, hunters go out with packs of dogs and and they like to get up close and personal and knife pigs to death. And 
So they, you know, they're allowed to set dogs onto pigs, and it's legal to so-called pinion a pig by, with the teeth of dogs, and that's all very well on paper, even though that's unspeakable. But in point of fact, what actually happens with pig dogging is that the the dogs get to the pigs, you know, maybe an hour before the hunters do, so they've had a chance to maul the pigs and just terrorise them, and and uh, in their terror, the pigs often harm dogs too and then when the hunter does get there you know it could take up to 10 knife plunges before that animal is finally finally succumbs to death that's legal in this country so we've got quite a long way to go this specific round table just getting back to it's about the feral cats um and you alluded to the the fox um situation literally at the end of the day None of this killing is actually doing what the what the desired outcome is, Indeed. which is to bring down the populations anyway. So it's just it's, far, it's almost it, it's farcical. It's just it well, why are we doing it? Um, it doesn't work ecologically. The science is out there. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, as you've said, you know, for two hundred years we've been trapping, poisoning, blowing up, shooting, knifing, doing all these things to selected species and those numbers as you've said they don't reduce and in fact what often happens is you know in the case of hunters they translocate animals to other areas so they've got seeded prey for the future so they're actually encouraging numbers of wild animals rather than inhibiting their numbers and you know just by virtue of going out and you know hunting an animal it disperses the other animals they just flee into the bush and nature abhors a vacuum so where you take out some numbers those numbers just replicate, you know, sometimes double the, what was there before the so-called cull happened. And there's no area where animals have been taken out where they haven't um, come back again. And there was a, a group of scientists in Tasmania last year and they went out to kill cats and they found through their own research they had to admit that the culling of cats was actually increasing the numbers of cats. I just think there's a lot of money to be made from the so-called pest industry. There's a lot of uh, grants, there's a lot of poisons, there's a lot of big bucks to be made in the pest industry. So on the one hand, there's people who claim that they want to keep numbers of animals down, and yet they're not looking at long-term humane solutions. They're just going for the jackboot approach of either helicopter shooting or baiting or, you know, and, and none of those things remove all numbers of animals. They just, you know, start to breed up again. Mm. And so it, the whole thing is a mess. It's about time this country looked at proper and humane ways of keeping numbers of wild animals down and just doing things differently. If you'd like to become more informed on this issue, there's a great article co-authored by Ariane Wallach called It's Time to Give the Australian Wildcat Citizenship. I'll post that on the podcast page with this. We'll be hearing a lot more about the way we handle species that we label as pest and vermin. And really, we need to wake up to the circuitry in our mind that happens in reaction to this language. Just because something's labelled pest or vermin does not mean we need to cut off the social circuits in our brain that enable compassion and welfare for that species got to get out of the way for a great program called in psychedelia which questions all things drug related if you'd like to contact us please do on info at freedom facebook or twitter thank you very much to linda stoner and also to mini kitty commune next week i hope to be airing a great chat i had with elise de Solnier, a canadian author who wrote cash cow 
the dairy industry has been getting a hell of a lot of attention lately and next week we will pay attention to dairy cows. In the meantime, you can listen to our podcast of the Voiceless Rethinking Dairy Cows panel, which was held last year. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.